Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the podcast where every week we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media from film, television, to music, literature, sports, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleinman, and this is my co-host, Mr. George Payton Gordon the Third. Take it away, George. What's up, Dave? Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I love when people say my first name, my middle name, my last name, and the third. I feel very regal every time they say that. It's always a fun thing. <laughs> I'm super excited about this week's episode. We have my buddy and stand-up comedian and podcaster and new father and former neighbor, Hari Kondabolu. And we're super excited to play this game. been eyeing this game for a few months now because uh, I know that Hari has some thoughts about Weezer. And I know Hari has a lot of thoughts about New York athletes. And uh, this is a little ditty about those two things. Uh, but before we get into all that, Dave, how are you? Thank you very much for asking, George. <laughs> um, I'm all right. You know, I'm good. I got my first COVID shot. So that's very exciting. I got it in preparation to go back to work. So I can go back to work once I'm fully vaccinating, which is really exciting. So I'm, I'm like kind of preparing to do that. Getting it was was interesting. It was very easy. I got vaccinated at Medgar Evers College in Crown Heights. And it's one of the mass vaccination sites. It's set up by FEMA and run by the military. Mm -hmm. You walk in as like a military barracks. You know, and the first thought I had, I'm like, if this were a movie and I was the protagonist, this probably wouldn't be good. <laughs> like in a huge building with all these military personnel doing uh, medical stuff. <laughs> but But then I was like, oh, if we have a military, this is exactly what they should be doing, helping people. And it was so efficient. It was run so well. I was in and out in a very short period of time. They make you wait the 15 minutes, you know, to make sure you don't have a reaction. And uh, I barely felt the shot at all. Uh, I did have a little bit of soreness after, but, you know, nothing bad. And uh, yeah, preparing for my second shot in a couple of weeks. And we are on our way to being a fully vaccinated podcast, which is awesome. George, how are you doing, man? What's What have you been up to? I'm good. I got my uh, my second shot on Sunday, which is very exciting. I talked about this when we were talking about Bartok and all this other stuff and how we were doing for my first shot. And I wanted to make sure to entertain the, the shout out to the woman, the lovely woman that gave me a shot. The first shot person was uh, wondering what the hell was wrong with me. And the second shot person was also wondering what the hell was wrong with me. And I thought I did my job as far as like trying to entertain them because I know they see a lot of people. And what I said to her, she goes, just so you know, is like people have had certain reactions to these shots and just make sure that you don't have anything to do the next day. And I was like, listen, I'll be fine. As long as it's not vomit or diarrhea, I'd rather lose my arm than have either one of those. And she stopped and she was like, You've got to be joking. You've got to be joking. You'd rather lose your arm. I was like, yeah, I'm kind of kidding. I'm messing with you. <laughs> I'm really just messing with you. I would rather not lose my arm, but I could rather not get a vomit or diarrhea, but I'm just saying I'm messing with you anyway. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, she was like, well, you're about to have both of those. So <laughs> like, you better, you better, you better call a car home, son. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. Anyway, now she was a delightful woman and she knew that I was joking. But at first she made this face like, what did you just say? You better lose your arm than get vomit or diarrhea. I was like, yes. Uh, but no, I was definitely a good time and very efficient uh, where I was at too. So anyway, we don't want to spend too much time on the stupid jokes. I tell the random people, let's open up this bar today on Bar Talk Tap. We've got Yafet Kodo and the Oscar love for the Oscar snubs, which produced the Mary best a plus work with that. 
Dave, let's just do some little talk about Yafet Koto. We both have a lot of love for this actor who just passed away this week. Absolutely. Yeah, I really loved Yafet Koto a lot. I think you were going to be talking about some of the movies that you have in posters on your wall that you enjoy. So I was talking about one of the things that he did that made a huge impact on me, and that's Homicide, Life on the Street. The David Simon and Tom Fontana show about Baltimore cops that preceded The Wire. Hari actually talks about it when we talk to him. And that show just made a profound impact on me. And and his performance is incredible as Al Giardello, the captain. And he plays a Black Sicilian guy. And I wanted to read a story about that from David Simon that I thought was pretty interesting. This is what David Simon posted on Twitter the other day. I will tell one Yafet Koto story today, though it really belongs to Tom Fontana, the mastermind of homicide life on the street. Anyway, the character of Al Giardello was based on Gary Diodario, the real-life Italian-American shift commander in my source book for the drama. But when Yafet signed on to take the role, there was a natural inclination to change the character to reflect ethnicity. But Tom and Barry Levinson, in a decision as inexplicable as it was brilliant, said, fuck it. He's Al Giardello, and whether he's a child of a mixed marriage or an adopted kid or whatever, he identifies as Sicilian. We're just going to go with it. And Yafet just went with it, relishing the occasional Italian phrase and talking with his hands at points. The only complication, as far as Tom was concerned, was Yafet's choice to, at points, deliver some of his lines in a Brando-like mumble worthy of Don Corleone. At some moment on set, Tom took Yafet aside and said he needed to enunciate more, especially on lines involving exposition. Tom, Yafet explained, I'm playing the Sicilian. (laughs) Yafet, can you understand me right now? Tom countered. Yafet allowed that he could. Yafet, I am Sicilian, (laughs) which left everyone, including Yafet, laughing. And I just want to share that Yafet Kodo, we lost a, a really great one. Definitely watch all of his stuff that you can get your hands on. George, what are some of the performances that really, really impacted you from him? Well, there's several that, that come to mind, but the two that really stick out. And if, if anybody had been in my apartment, they would know that I am a fan of uh, Midnight Run. He plays the FBI agent Mosley, which is one of my favorite parts of all time. He's so funny in that and not being funny because he's like kind of an asshole. Love it. And he's in one of my favorite horror movies of all time, which is Alien, which is a and he's a he's Parker in Alien. So and that's 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 like a who's who of dope actors. Uh, I mean, he's so great in it. It's got Ian Holm. It's got John Hurt. I got Sigourney Weaver. It's got a fuck. I just blanked on his name. Tom Skerritt, who I actually talked about last week. Tom Skerritt. Shout out. (laughs) Anyway, R.I.P. Yafat Koto. I actually watched Alien today. It's so it's such a great movie. Him and uh, Harry Dean Stanton together, like they play off. Oh yeah! Oh my god! Right. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we're going to talk about some of the performances that we thought, or movies that we thought that should have gotten a little bit of love from the Oscars. I didn't watch a lot of movies last year, and I tend to like things that are funny. And Oscars usually don't really talk about comedies. And a movie that I enjoyed that and it's like super short. And a, and a performance I thought was great. I really enjoyed Palm Springs. I know it's like a kind of like a not as great Groundhog's Day, but J.K. Simmons just entertains me and he's entertaining in that movie. And I think there could have been like a nice little, like, uh, like hey, J.K., you're great. <laughs> like, come on into this Oscar party. We need you here. So the thing that I saw, those I, I didn't think any love is MLK FBI. I also thought that was great. But again, I didn't watch a lot of movies this past year. So Dave, I know you've got some thoughts. Go right ahead. This year was a weird year, obviously, uh, the understatement. 
of the century. I watched like some older stuff too, you know, because I was trying to like incorporate and there just wasn't as much new stuff. But, you know, we talk about this all the time, the Oscars, like all the award shows, it's ridiculous to put a value judgment on things. And because also like, Things always get overlooked. And one of the things I had on my list, you mentioned, which is Palm Springs. I love that movie. I, I I enjoyed watching that as much as I enjoyed watching anything this year. It was funny, but it was heartfelt. Um, and it was really well done. Also, one of the things I saw this year is actually the very last movie I saw in theaters. And I saw it like a few days before everything shut down, which is First Cow, which is Kelly Reichert's movie. You know, she did Meek's Cutoff and Wendy and Lucy, and she's very understated and quiet filmmaker. And First Cow is incredible because it's also, it's really funny. It's kind of like a buddy comedy story set in 1820s Oregon. And it has like, there's an immigration storyline, young American entrepreneurship. It's it's a very well done, interesting film. And like I said, it's very quiet. It, it got critical success, but it wasn't like, you know, the big hit. So that was uh, something I really loved. Also, just real quickly, I've mentioned it before, but I think that 40-year-old version was great. I agree with you, George, completely that comedies so often get overlooked. Another one that I, again, like, is it the best movie ever? No, but I probably enjoyed watching it as much as I enjoyed watching anything else this year, which was The Lovebirds with uh, Kumail Nanjiani and uh, Issa Rae. Like, that was hysterical and super fun, you know, and nobody gives a shit about those movies when award season comes around. So, yeah. Those were uh, some snubs and flubs. <laughs> we're like People Magazine now. <laughs> George, anything to add? No, I think I think we covered it. All right, that'll do it for Bar Talk. Let's go and sit down with Hari Kondabolo. Hello. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Hello. What's going on? Uh, let me introduce everybody around the room. This is Dave. Hello. And this is our producer, Mary Bess. Hey, Dave, Mary Beth. Nice to meet you both. Hello. Hello. So nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being with us. We uh, we understand that and we know that you have a hard out. So we're just going to go ahead and get started, my friend. No, I'm excited to do it. Well, welcome to uh, the Know Your Rules podcast, my good friend. I see you walk around the neighborhood and you you are very tired. And I know that you're a new father. <laughs> Tell us how your year has been <laughs> along with COVID and being a new dad. A hell of a greeting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's intense right after that. Um, no, it, it's, it's wonderful in that, you know, uh, my partner was pregnant through the, you know, from basically the beginning of COVID until we had the baby and at the end of November. So I got to spend like the maximum amount of time with, um, with her and then with our baby after the baby was born. So that is great, you know, uh, but it also means I couldn't do stand up. I couldn't perform really in any way other than podcasts, uh, which is great, but podcasts are talking to friends and having conversations which I can also do off mic, but, mm -hmm. but stand up, I, you know, I, I can't do it. And, you know, I don't think a, a zoom comedy show counts to be honest. I know some people don't like me saying that, but it, it just, it's me being the funny guy on a video conference call for work. And I'm not really interested in that. That's not why I got into this. So it's been good, except I think creatively frustrating, personally good, um, and obviously it's weird to have something personally be good when there's, you know, death all around you. So it's been, kind of been, it's been a surreal year for sure. 
I mean, I believe it. We uh, we started this podcast based on like wanting to like sort of be creative. Uh, Dave is a writer, and uh, as you know, it was like we know each other from stand up. To like sort of just figure out what the hell we're gonna do with ourselves as far as like what kind of outlet just to do something. Yeah, just to do something. Yeah. As you're the second comic in the week, we had Liz Mealy last week, and she mentioned the exact same uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, o- Liz opens for me all the time. She's she's a she's a good buddy. Absolutely. Yeah. I noticed your uh, your midnight run poster. Can I just can I just say rest in peace, Yafet Koto, uh, who passed away yesterday. The fa- the fantastic. I know him more from uh, Homicide, which I saw over. I saw a lot of shows I should have seen already, and I saw them over this COVID year. I saw Homicide, and then I watched The Wire finally. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's really good. Can't tell anybody because everybody else has seen it already. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, y- Yafet Koto is so good as uh, a, a, you know Lieutenant Giardello in Homicide, and then I mm-hmm. saw a film called Blue Collar yesterday with uh, it's him, Harvey Keitel, and Richard, and Richard Pryor. Pryor. Yeah. Oh my God, it's fantastic. So underappreciated. I saw you post about that the other day. It's uh, uh, it's Paul Schrader, right? Yes, it, it is. is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I haven't seen that. That's on my list great script i mean i i was like blown away and, and saddened by how relevant it was still and, and i was reading about it after just about how much they all the, the actors hated each other especially everyone hating prior because he was so drugged out of his mind that he was making up lines every take nobody ever knew when to come in he was really rude to people uh, Harvey Keitel pissed him off, so one of Pryor's goons beat him up. Like it was not a healthy environment. I think somebody pulled out a pistol at some point. It's 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 a lot of undue pressure. Like it's already hard enough to make a movie, but Pryor made it really exciting. Yeah, uh, he's that's not the only one. If like if if I was to do a virtual tour, we don't have time for that. But um, Alien is also mm. a thirty-six by twenty-four frame poster. I watched it today. Uh, Parker, Yafoto, uh, so. I haven't seen the Bond that he's in. Like, I didn't even know he was a Bond villain until yesterday. I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> what a career. He's He's got like 100 credits. I mean, he's been in so many things. Do you things. know what he turned down, though? He turned down the role of Jean-Luc Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation. And he turned down Lando, uh, what is it, Lando Calrissian? Calrissian. Calrissian's yeah. role, which uh, Billy D. Williams took in star wars because he didn't want to be known as a, a guy who just did space movies uh i respect it. i would i would have taken would have taken the work probably <laughs> yeah i probably would have too i didn't know he uh he passed on uh star trek i think i just had a stroke um <laughs> <laughs> the uh you can skip the uh, the bond movie uh, the song is really good and uh stephanie seymour is uh is solitaire but the movie is is is, is not age well and uh, a movie you should watch is uh, Across 110th Street when you get a chance. Ooh, uh, okay. It's, the Donny Hathaway song is incredible. The movie is also dope. But uh, okay, and it has Yafet has Yafet Koto in it. Yeah, it's it, the movie's okay. awesome. The movie's awesome. We got a lot to, we want to get to. First off, I do want to congratulate you on being a an Ambie, being a being nominated for the Ambies. <laughs> Did you? I didn't know that was a thing until I got nominated for it. I was shocked, and then I'm like, well, who? Who puts the Ambies on the podcast academy? How long is the podcast academy around? The same amount of time as the Ambies. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how does one vote for the Ambies? 
you have to buy a membership in the pod. That's like, what kind of, is this some kind of Columbia house type deal? (laughs) Pay for 11 podcasts and you get, you know, whatever. So anyway, it was weird. It was, it was a weird, uh, it's it's an it's an exciting thing to be nominated for anything, and I still hope we win whatever this thing is. But I don't know what this thing is exactly. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what they were until you guys got nominated, also, and you talked about it on your podcast. But uh, the slightly related question I have is: Have you made any progress on booking Dan Bongino for uh, for political active? That's another uh, person I didn't know existed. <laughs> Neither did uh, I until we got nominated with him. I have a feeling based on some of the things we said, we are not going to have him <laughs> booked. And I felt kind of bad because I didn't really know anything about the man, but it sounds like he's not a guy uh, I really want to hang out with, but who knows? Maybe he's a baseball guy and we can talk baseball <laughs> or something. I don't know. That's Maybe. what I do with uh, people that I have nothing in common with or in a cab when the conversation uh, especially it's less so now, but when I get in a yellow cab, not that long ago, and to be an old, like white driver talking about how we love the way Brooklyn used to be. And that's clearly coded language. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. When like, oh, let me guess a uh, pre Jackie Robinson, 1947 Brooklyn. You mean like pre before, before the Dodgers integrated, you mean? Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. I have a feeling we're not getting him. Uh, I don't think we're going to try. um but uh speaking of of politically reactive you you guys you guys uh were dormant for a while and you you brought it back right you were you hadn't been doing it for a couple years and did you mostly bring it back because you just what we were saying earlier you had the time and you wanted to 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 do that or partly i mean it's it's funny we only plan to do it for a year we're like okay it's going to be a historic election with hillary clinton getting elected so it'd be cool to do a podcast during that year and then things went terribly awry uh so it was clear that people needed our podcast for another year um and i guess we needed it too just to kind of talk you know me and kamau uh, we co-host Politically Reactive together and like, you know, we needed, you know, we were going to talk to each other regardless of what the hell was going on. But this kind of gave us an outlet to share it with other people. And then after that, you know, and we left as a, a top podcast and we just kind of said, hey, we have other things that are happening. And, you know, I don't know what else we can do with this and let's move on. And, you know, we'll just call each other like normal and just hang out. Um and then when I think COVID happened, all of a sudden, a lot of time obviously cleared up and there had been a demand to bring back the podcast since we stopped doing it several years ago. And I knew that because every time I'd I'd do shows, that's what got brought up the most, not the documentary or the Netflix special, but like uh, it was it was the podcast I had done. And then Kamau told me the same thing was happening to him, which was weird because the dude has an Emmy winning TV show. And the thing that's getting brought up is is the podcast he did with me several years ago. So if, if that's going to happen, clearly it was it meant a lot to people. And so certainly like the whole uh, the world of podcasts has changed and there's so many more. And I think in some ways we're a little less unique in terms of other people are talking about this stuff, too, now. Uh, but I still think, to be honest, we do it best. And I think part of that is like we're both knowledgeable about the world and we're funny and we're legitimately good friends. So, um, you know, I still think the podcast is, is, you know, is great. And I'm glad that people still want to hear it. Well, I'm super excited that you brought it back. Um, and I 
I've been listening to it. I, I listened to it in the past and I've been very excited to talk to you. And George and I are kind of like new in the interview game, but like talking to comedians and artists is super cool and awesome. But like, what is going through your mind when you're preparing to talk to someone like Kianga Yamada Taylor or sure. Bell Hooks? You guys just had Nikki Giovanni on. Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's weird because I feel like maybe all comics have this, the idea, like every time I get off stage, I'm like, ah, fooled him again. <laughs> and there's that imposter syndrome. And so that's already there. And then it's like, uh, we're speaking to these incredible figures like this incredibly famous poet, Nikki Giovanni and Bell Hooks is, I wouldn't say she's reclusive, but certainly she's not someone that gets interviewed or is in the public space a great deal. And, you know, just to speak to people like Kianga you mentioned, who's absolutely brilliant, like Naomi Klein. I mean, the list goes on and on. I think there's a lot of like, oh God, how are we supposed to make this work? And also, you know, it, our goal with it isn't to be funny during the interviews. If we find a moment, we take it. But, you know, that's not always going to be possible. You know, and we interviewed um, uh, Amy Goodman from uh, Democracy Now! And th there was no way that was going to be funny. Like, she's not one of the, you know, some guests you don't think they're like, you don't know if they're funny or have a sense of humor. But then you find out during the interview they do and you kind of they play along at least. Uh, she had her uh, bullet points. She had what she wanted to talk about. And every interview she was going to do, those points were going to be made regardless. A couple of times we cracked jokes. There was an awkward pause and she continued with what she was saying. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think the key is to, to be in the moment with the guest and remember that it's not about you, but the guest. And that's a really difficult thing, especially as stand-up comics, because it's like, but it's always been about me. That's why I got into this. Um, but you know, when, when you're talking to other people, it's about letting what they say, breathe a bit and you add your personality in life. And that's what makes for a unique interview and unique questions. But you, you have to trust that the people that you're booking are worth booking and they have something to say. Who has like, uh, really surprised you as far as they were like, you didn't expect them to be funny. <laughs> oh God. I'm trying to think. I mean, honestly, we've done so many, but there's definitely been people where I'm like, who do we have? We had somebody, we had somebody who was very, it was like a, I'm trying to go through a list. It was, because we have some that are like really famous, like academics or really noble media figures. And it was somebody who wasn't the most famous, but had a particular specialty. And I forgot what it was, who was really, I, was it, I think it was either the guy that we we spoke to about, um, the electoral college or, or maybe it was the, the dude we just spoke to about, uh, um, filibustering about filibusters, but like you didn't, you know, we expected that to be one of those pieces where we'd have to like really do the heavy lifting if we were going to get humor. But mm -hmm. more than that, it's such a fascinating topic that we don't know much about. And the system is so absurd and was set up, you know, so long ago, it, it's just, it's a right with, you know, comedic possibilities. Like, I can't believe we're doing this shit based on a random set of circumstances that existed a long time ago, where even when, like, this stuff was set up, it was a fight between slave owners and non-slave owners. Like, so obviously, why are we worried about what these assholes thought? Um, but, I, you know, I think both of those guys had a good sense of humor and it made it easier. You know, we've spoken to people where we couldn't even do the interview because, like, they were either so 
Um, they were knowledgeable, but boring as fuck. <laughs> and if something is boring, and it's like it, two things. If something is boring and we're not given the space to try to make it fun, or if the person is like just uh, like the way they talk is lectury, like just like you listen to a lecture, we're not going to use that interview because the whole point of this is that people want to listen. I mean, at least I mean that's a you know that's something I had to learn with stand up as somebody who talks about things that are quote unquote political or, or personal. It's like you can't just rant up there, otherwise people are going to be turned off. You need punchlines, and you have to be compelling. Um, so you know, whenever we get somebody that is funny and we didn't expect it, it's it's a bonus. It's it's really it's a boon. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I think you guys do a great job of you know going in and out uh, and using humor. Also, you know, using things like anger and 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 everything. And uh, you know, I would ask you. You know, do you think that we are, do you think that it's getting through? Do you think that we are, are reaching like, you know, I mean, of course the awful fucking events of this week and right. we are like you were said, we are constantly surrounded by not only COVID, but just death in general and white, yeah. white supremacist, uh, violence. Yeah. But my question is, are we getting closer to understanding white supremacy culture and like how, how it's baked into the foundation of this nation and like why and like why that matters still. I hope so. I mean, I think more than ever we do, but I also am very aware that we're polarized and by polarized, I don't just mean Republicans and Democrats, but what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're watching and how that influences us. Right. Like, so just thinking about how Facebook was used during, uh, you know, the election, the, the Trump election, the first one, like, clearly, we're not, you know, or QAnon is probably a better example. We're not reading the same shit. We don't believe the same shit. Like, some of us don't even believe reality is what it is, you know? Like, I, I feel um, like that makes it difficult because you're putting this stuff into the world, but are people even watching? And I think for the people who are paying attention, particularly, you know, after George Floyd's murder, you saw a lot of people all of a sudden, like, it was some mix of realizing, you know, uh, what the truth was and finally things people of color have said for years finally clicked. But I think it's also, it was so open and clear and disgusting. I think it's also like, shit, I got nowhere else to hide now. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't pretend this isn't happening. I can't justify it. I, I, I just saw that. And so, you know, and no one's going to, how do you even like the oh, the same old like, well, what was he doing right before? And, you know, this is proper protocol and he deserved it because he was resisting. Like all that all of a sudden is taken, taken away and you're, you're hit with cold, hard truth. And so people, I think a lot of people that that resonated with a lot of people who might disagree on a lot of things, but say like this is this is a lot um, and we have to change how we do things. So, I mean, that that's. And also it resonated with other people like we got to get rid of Aunt Jemima. It's like, this is what did it mm-hmm. really the murder of a black man. And, uh, you know, in cold blood on camera, that's what it's like. We can't change everything. But now that that happens, I'm going to feel better getting rid of this thing that people have asked us to get rid of for quite some time now. Washington football team. You know what I mean? Like, it's absurd. Um, yeah, Totally. But yeah, yeah. Where, where was this? Where was I rambling? <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You're good. 
you were answering it, but I think that that's something like, you know, that's something myself, like as a white person, like have to realize, you know, that because you have to put yourself in the shoes of someone affected, which is something that white people have such a goddamn hard time doing because, you know, it, it's benefits you, you know, because of, I mean, the hope again is, you know, what I think about both with my stand-up and with our podcast is at a certain age, I feel like people have a, there's very few people who are truly undecided, like truly unsure or feel like they're caught in the middle and have different logic and don't know where to go. Right. Uh, And some people say they're undecided, but they know. Um, But to me, it's like being a young person, like when you're a kid, that's when it matters. And so knowing our stuff is used in schools at like college level, high school level or under, you know, that to me, that's where the impact is because that's so much of what I believe certainly got shaped in my twenties, but like a lot of the seeds of that were planted early. And even if maybe I didn't practice what I preached for a long time, and I maybe practice what I preached, but I didn't practice what I heard and, and thought made sense. Like, don't say that word. It means this, you know, well, that's bullshit. I'm going to say it anyway, because I'm 14. You know, when you're a little older, you're like, all of a sudden that shit makes sense, you know, and that's where I hope the impact is. And I feel like it might be considering this next generation of kids who is trying to create change. and makes me feel hopeful. Also should be noted that Kyle Rittenhouse and uh, the asshole today who, you know, who, murdered, you know, uh, eight Asian Americans, you know, aiming at Asian American women. Um, there, that dude was 21. So that's also this next generation. So I can't be, you know, mm-hmm. starry. I, this next generation's going to save us. Like this next generation's killing us too. But at least I see like these kids who have such a fire at, at an early age to change things for the better. And that's where I feel like the work must be doing something. I think it, Definitely is. And I also think like what you and and what Kamau does as well, like is very helpful. Something that I struggle with, which is like talking to like, I don't have a ton of Republicans in my family. I actually have none. I, that's the privilege of being, being a Jewish American. (laughs) Although actually that's not true because I live close to Borough Park and they're all fucking Trump psychopaths. But anyway, I think you guys do a great job. Like I struggle with talking to the neoliberals in my life, you know, and, and the people that, Mm. Are like, you know, if you try, if you talk about an Andrew Cuomo or a, even a Bill Clinton or <laughs> Joe Biden, um, you know, uh, they'll, they'll be like, well, at least he's not the, you know, the word. And it's like, you know, but I think it's really important what you guys do, because I think that you bridge a lot of those gaps. I mean, it's that idea that before was acceptable, like before Trump was acceptable, before Trump wasn't acceptable either. It was at least uh, there was the possibility of things getting done and of a less suppressive state. The idea of some semblance of, um, you know, the freedom of press, even if it's owned by, you know, four people, there's at least some semblance of that. Um, uh, the idea that, like, um, the president is not going to attack individuals on Twitter, like all that stuff. The idea that you could actually have some conversation publicly that isn't nasty with each other. That That is, you know, the, the bar got so low, I think we forget that where the bar was, was just functional. It wasn't good. We had a, fun, like we, we were, 
we were further away from a coup before. That's yeah. all. Like, mm-hmm. that's like to me the big difference. I mean, now with Biden back in, it's so it's so much work. Like, you know, there was so much stuff that we that hadn't gotten that did not get done under Obama, and now you know the hope was to pick up from there. And you know, that's not where we're. We're like trying to put some things back into place, and now dealing with the Supreme Court that's fucking stacked. So. So when we first envisioned this podcast, one of the one of the things that I that I told Dave was like, you know, it would be great to have on as far as to talk about these two subjects and not to be those I'm terrible at segues, by the way, just to get sure to remember what I used to have before. Not to like put all those other things aside. I do want to get into the things that we were going to discuss on the podcast because we don't want to take up too much of your time. I want you to give us two minutes on Weezer before we before we start our game. Just about what my feelings are. Yeah, what your feelings are about Weezer. I was a huge Weezer fan. We're talking like uh, 94 when the Blue Album came out. Obviously, Buddy Holly, I knew extremely well, came with, I think, the Windows 95 uh, startup. <laughs> so I knew the video. I saw Say It Ain't So live on Letterman, uh, I think, later that year, early the next year. And I'm like, this is the most amazing band in the world. Uh, initially, I listened to Pink Tim. I'm like, I don't know. But by the second time, I'm like, yeah, this is great. Um you know, I waited for the, the green album to come out. Well, I didn't, I, I don't know what that album was going to be. I was waiting for the, the next album. There was a huge hiatus in there. I would listen to Weezer songs uh, sped up and would pretend they were new Weezer songs, but they were old Weezer songs. I just sped up the speed. So it would be like a punk version by the chipmunks <laughs> of like Say It Ain't So. And the Green Album came out and it was not particularly good, uh, in my opinion. It was very short. It was like 29 minutes. Uh, I suppose it was popular, but it was just not it wasn't good. But people said they liked it. I'm like, what? No, though, this isn't good. And then and the bassist was gone. Matt Sharp was gone. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's one potential source of why things changed. Uh, And then uh, Mikey Walsh passed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he left the band first, but eventually, you know, sadly he passed. And the new bassist was Scott Schreiner, who's now their longest standing bassist. And basically what what they played for years was there was like some attempt at like almost bad 80s metal mixed with really poppy music that was sung by men in their 30s, now 40s, close to 50 now. But for a much younger audience, which is very creepy, like you're having kids and you're talking about the kinds of things you you feel when you're, you know, 16, you know, Uh, it's just very it's it just it got embarrassing. Plus, I just couldn't enjoy the music. And for a long time, I wondered how much of this has to do with just childhood. You can't go back to your childhood. So, you know, you can't you know, there's no way Weezer will ever sound the way they sounded. But after listening to enough Weezer, it's like, no, they sound bad, though. I don't think it's a me feeling nostalgic. I, I really don't think they sound good. And there are a few songs they they have made in recent years. I'm like, oh, this sounds like old Weezer, you know? Um, and, and, you know, and, and there's a couple, I'm like, ah, I, well, I can listen to this song on repeat for the first time in a decade, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, you know, it's, 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 that that's gone, and and part of me sympathizes. I think as someone who's released albums and specials now, um, like oh man, like it, you don't want to do the same thing exactly the same way every time. And 
you know, you, you're like, people might be like, oh, why are you going to talk about your fucking kid and your, and your family and your act now? So I got a fucking kid. I got a family. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is, I, I feel differently about it. At least that, though, has, has a certain kind of maturation. I feel like that to me is, we can accept as at least there's some evolution versus going back in time. Like, when I listened to Weezer when I was 14, I was hearing, adults talking about their adult lives i was hearing 25 year olds having angst mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what it was like to have sex with different people every night and feel lost <laughs> you know like these are all you know and, and it being meaningless i didn't know like a lot of the feelings that he uh, expressed on those songs as silly as they were especially the second record there was some, there was some pain there and so t- it was like i was looking to the future like whoa this is what it's like to be an adult after, like from the Green Album on, it was like, this is for children. This isn't for an 18 or 19 year old even. This mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Like he's not saying anything personal. And it fe- it almost feels like he's just making garbage that people will buy. Like he's, you know, it's like he's, it's just sugar or it's <laughs> just, you know, what is this? And so it's highly processed. So I was just... Um, it, it just, it, it, they, it's, this is definitely over two minutes, by the, way, <laughs> but the band is, is not the same band. And part of me has accepted that, uh, part of me still feels sad because what I would do to listen to like a Weezer album that felt the way the first two did n- with like a degree of this is where my life is now, you know, okay, it's not, it's not there. That's over. So here we here on the Know Your Roles podcast, we try to compare two things that seemingly have like nothing to do with each other and try to make it make it work. And um, I know you are a long suffering New York sports fan. So I figured it was like we're gonna talk about Weezer songs and uh, New York sports athletes. Now, yeah. historically in our the guests that we've had from Blake Schwarzenbach to Josh Gondelman and Liz Miller, we usually have the guests go first, but I feel that felt weird. It was like I had somebody who's like who did shows with you from I don't know. We were in Portland, Maine and uh, in D.C. It was like, I, I feel like you should go last, <laughs> just like the old days. So I'm actually going to go first. And my first Weezer song is uh, Suzanne. Ooh, yeah. that's, a, <laughs> that's a B-side uh, that's from the first album era, I believe. Fantastic song. That is that that is correct. And the reason why I chose this song is oddly enough, one of my favorite Weezer songs and, and overlooked is kind of the thing that I'm going for. And when I think of some New York athletes that are overlooked and the reason why I know this song is a movie that I think is kind of overlooked. And the reason why I know this song is from the movie Mall Rats, which is a song that plays over the, yeah. the ending credits. And my roommate, shout out to uh, Kyle O'Connell from Portland, Maine, uh, by the way, uh, we both love Mall Rats. So for me, the overlooked New York athlete that I would compare that song to would have to be former Heisman Trophy winner and point guard for the New York Knicks, and that is Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward. His numbers weren't amazing. He averaged eight assists while in New York, but I felt like he was overlooked. And a shout out to my friend, Julie Oaks, who I understand. I hear he's a lovely human being. Like, he's really nice. So Charlie Ward is the Suzanne of Weezer songs. That the joke back then, because the Giants and the Jets were so bad, is the best quarterback in New York plays for, plays the, Knicks. for the Knicks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 He won yeah. a Heisman Trophy. He won the wasn't, Heisman and Trophy. wasn't drafted somehow. Wasn't drafted by the NFL. I think it was either Peter Vesey or Mike Lupica. The story was he didn't. He uh, the, the moment he found out he was not going to get drafted in the first round, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm actually a pretty good basketball player. 
And he got drafted in the first round by the Knicks. Exactly, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> All right, so Dave, what's your first Weezer song, your first New York athlete? All right. Ari, I'm kind of with you as far as like uh, I was kind of out after the Green Album, really. Like, And I didn't I wasn't like that huge of a fan that I like listened to those later albums. So like honestly prepping for this podcast, a lot of that was like totally unknown to me. And I, yeah. I wanted to pick one that a song that was kind of obscure and it'll make sense when I get to the athlete, but that is something off the red album. Cause they made, they made that. Wow. <laughs> um, and it's called pork and beans. Oh, that, that was a single, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it yeah. was, but it's, it's weird. It's like a really weird quirky song. First of all, it's called pork and beans. Yeah. It's also like, it's kind of, it's still kind of catchy and poppy. Like what you were saying, um, you know, as, as, as far as their later career, and I literally wrote, what the fuck are we doing? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but because I wanted to compare it to a very obscure athlete who played for the Mets. I'm also, I'm from Chicago. He also played for the Cubs. And this is a relief pitcher named Turk Wendell. Ah, Turk Wendell, of course. Pork and Beans is Turk Wendell, who if you, by uh, that recognition, I'm sure you remember that he was super eccentric. He yeah. had all these weird superstitions. Of he course, used- his name was Turk Wendell. <laughs> Yeah, he used to uh, hop over the 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 chalk line. He used he the, the my favorite thing. He used to brush his teeth in between innings. Jeez. Every inning, he would brush his teeth. Uh, yeah, he's a weirdo. And I once saw him uh, at a Cubs game during like a rain delay to entertain the fans in the bleachers. Instead of throwing balls out, he started kicking them. He started punting balls out. And somehow that was very on brand for uh, Turk Wendell. So, yeah, he is the uh, pork and beans of Weezer songs. Wow, that's great. I got to I got to come up with something. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say um, the world has turned and left me here. Track three from Weezer's Blue Album. And I'm going to uh, say that is kind of like uh the man who lost 27 consecutive games for the New York Mets in 1993, Anthony Young. Uh, it is the record. He did it, set it between two seasons. Mets were awful, especially in 93. Somehow managed those 27 games in a row as both a starter and a reliever. And as a reliever, like sometimes you just, you just stumble into a win because you, you pitch and then all of a sudden you take the lead in the next inning. And none of, not, that never happened. And as a starter, you have a bad game and, uh, you know, but your offense shows up for you. He was, his ERA was in the threes. He wasn't awful. That's why he, I think that's the problem. He, he wasn't so awful that he, he couldn't play anymore, which would prevent him from losing 27 in a row. He was good enough where he gave you a chance to win, but the Mets weren't going to win. So he <laughs> lost 27 in a row. The world has turned and left me here. The offense has <laughs> left him there on the mound. <laughs> To lose again, twenty-seven in a row. <laughs> nice. Uh, real quickly, so my next Weezer song is from Maladroit. Um, not one of my favorite Weezer albums, but the song "Dope Nose." Now I can say "Dope Nose" for a lot of different New York athletes, but specifically, I'm going to choose my man with the with the most tremendous mustache. And that is Keith Hernandez, Ooh. and he is Dope Nose strictly the fact that he was rumored to have sold cocaine uh, to his uh, St. Louis Cardinals uh, teammates and to his teammates in New York. Little, little is known that Keith Hernandez is, oddly enough, one of the greatest fielding first basemen right. of all time, uh, 11 Golden Gloves. So Dope knows 
He's at Keith Hernandez. I mean, you know, think about it, though. You know, they, they always talk about how in the old days when the salaries were lower, like baseball players had to have second jobs in the offseason. And he's like, I want to keep mm-hmm. my offseason free. I'll just sell yeah. drugs while I'm playing. Yeah, he's not the only one. That's a there, there's like a yeah, that's I didn't know that about him. Yeah, he uh, said he said that one time in 85 before he joined the mess that 40 percent of the players in, NBA, in MLB were, were on cocaine. Jeez, 40 I mean, percent. I believe it, but it's still insane. <laughs> Dave, what's your second one? Uh, all right. So my next one is I'm not, this is another one, another uh, song off a later Weezer album that I like, wasn't really listening to very much and discovered, but it's mostly because it's a good literal uh, uh, comparison and that's knockdown drag out. And it's like with a, with a, with a name like that, you'd think it'd be like kind of a hard hitting song and it's actually kind of like a softer like lugs love song um and that's why as a mm. as an athlete i'm going to show my uh my chicago fandom here hari but uh um as as an athlete it's anthony mason because he uh was super tough on the court and i would not have wanted to uh cross him but i don't know if you guys know this he's also the subject of the uh, notorious big song i've got a story to tell because he he is the new york knicks player that's according right. to fat joe also i think uh john starks let it leak a little bit too oh really yeah that's fucked up like don't yeah. like, you should keep that like don't don't tell us that especially now that he passed away yeah, it's just like, like <laughs> i know like but anyway so uh so yeah anthony mason is the uh knockdown drag out of uh weezer songs uh, I think I'm going to uh, do Island in the Sun off the Green Album. And I'm going to say that's Bobby Bonilla. Um, because uh, two reasons. One, uh, Bobby Bonilla. Well, but first of all, the, Bobby Bonilla is kind of well known. It's a, I don't know if he's completely overlooked anymore, but basically he signed. Uh, so he had this deal with the Mets that was you know, for a couple of years, this is his second trip with the Mets. This was in the late nineties. Famously, he was playing cards with Ricky Henderson uh, while the Mets were playing the Braves in the NLCS, you know, and they were trying to rally and he was playing cards. He didn't give a shit. And, you know, they, they wanted to get rid of him. So what they did is there was a buyout. I think it was for 5 million or 6 million or whatever it is. And what they were going to do is not pay him that amount Instead, they would pay him like I think it was 1.3 million or something like that over the course of decades. Uh, and you might think, well, that's weird, right? Because you're talking about, let's say, paying this man 30 or 40 million dollars when you can just pay him the five or six million once and you're good, right? Um, and uh, the reason for that is they were working with Bernie Madoff and they just assumed, well, if we save the six million now and we give it to Uncle Bernie, He's going to turn that magically into 36 million, 100 million, 200 million. We're going to get two or three hundred million dollars within three or four years. We don't know how he does it. You would assume somebody would have checked to make sure that this was legitimate, that this money was certainly going to turn into several hundred million dollars. Uh, But uh, they got scammed. The Yankees didn't, by the way, because, of course, they didn't. Yeah. The Mets, of course, did. They got scammed. And so to me, uh, th- both the Mets 
and uh, the economic crisis are uh, are the Green Album, right? And the only thing that worked out is Bobby Bonilla. He's the only one that like made it out of the Mets <laughs> and the financial crisis ahead. <laughs> and he's Island in the Sun. It's the only decent track on that record. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, to me, so uh, my first choice I said overlooked. Now we're going to talk about something that's underrated. And a song that I think of their their, uh, their catalog that I think is underrated is Keep Fishing. Now, at their core, their Weezer is a band that's, that's that like kind of elements of, I guess, like a punk and maybe a little bit of like a emo. In fact, I seen that they seem to be a little bit more emo. But for me, some of the records are kind of really into metal. And I feel like Maladroit is the metal record and the record I think he's always wanted to make. Because I I've, I've even in some of the songs he mentions, my favorite band. Kiss. So when I think of underrated New York athletes, the one that comes to mind is Curtis Martin. Now he, of course, he's in the Hall of Fame, mm. but when you think of like the greatest running backs of all time, for you, you want to think of Walter Payton, you think of Emmitt Smith, you think of Barry Sanders, Eric Dickerson, the the, the sixth leading rushing, uh, of like uh, as far as record score, as far as like uh, rushing yards, number six is Hall of Famer Curtis Martin. So. Keep Fishing is the Curtis Martin of Weezer, Weezer songs. Dave. Um, awesome. So my next one, I'm actually doing a song that Hardy you just did, which is Island in the Sun. Um, I agree. It's probably the best song on that record. And the, uh, the athlete I'm comparing it to is Wade Boggs, mm. mostly because he took a, a plane where he apparently drank over a hundred beers on the, on the one plane ride from New York to LA. And uh, I imagine him just wanting to go uh, on an Island in the sun and uh, drink a bunch of Budweiser. Also, he had a 328 lifetime batting average, which is insane. And just, I'll give the perfunctory fuck the Yankees, but Wade Boggs is also pretty incredible for the beer and the hitting. So Island in the sun is the Wade Boggs. Of Weezer songs, I'm going to pick. Uh, I'm going to pick Jamie uh, by Weezer. I think it's one of their top five songs ever. Um, incredible, like, like you, you're like shocked it wasn't on an album because it's so good. Ended up on something called DGC Rarities, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's Don Mattingly. Um, I feel like. Don Manley had a great career, just short of the Hall of Fame, like starts on the Yankees in 82, the year um, after they made the World Series, and then ends his career in 95. They make the playoffs, but it's the year before the Yankees win a championship in 96. So it's like he had this great run, but it was wrong place at the wrong time. And never made it to the album. You know what I mean? He never made it to the classic <laughs> album. He just, he doesn't get forgotten. It's a great song, but it's like, you know, gets overlooked. Great. So for my number four, we got, we got two more each guys. It's like my number four is, uh, I'm going to choose my favorite Weezer song, which is uh, Only in Dreams. Now, anybody who's ever listened to a song and has listened to it enough times as I have, if you're by yourself, it gives you the opportunity to like that ending is unbelievable. The guitar solo 
is incredible. And it's the last song on the blue record. So when I think of like closers, of course, I'm going to mention the greatest closer of all time, which just happens to be Mariana Rivera. So Mariana Rivera is the only in dreams of Weezer songs, Dave. What, so is the idea for these that so it's not overrated for number for number four? We're not doing no, no, no. Right. I just uh, this this is uh this that oddly enough that just happens to be my favorite Weezer song. I love that too. It's eight minutes oh. of just crushing. <laughs> Wait, is this just supposed to be? Is this supposed to be? Favorite you can do whatever you want. At, you can do whatever you want. Oh, okay, great. No right. parade, like this is a free for all. Okay, I'm just okay. I'm just really yeah. pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you just want to tell the world about you know those forgotten uh, about Curtis Martin. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, all right, my next one is uh, an athlete that's already been mentioned, but I'll mention the song first. And it's a song that I kind of have the same relationship to the athlete with, which I think a lot of people do, uh, which is love hate. Um, and I don't really love this song, but I will admit that it's catchy and that's hash pipe. Uh, it's definitely very catchy. And it's also something that's made off the green album and it's made them like that song made them so much fucking money. It was so popular for like not being that good. Um, which is why it's Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> it's Bobby Bonilla. Uh, <laughs> as you said, he is getting paid until 2035 by the New York Mets. Uh, I also have a love-hate relationship with him because I had two, pr- one very quickly, I was almost bullied to leave a Cubs game when I was like 12 because Bobby Bonilla hit a home run. <laughs> there was like, I was with my friend and there was like these older kids from like the neighborhood who like we tried to hang out with, but they were assholes. And and they were like, if the next person up hits home run, you guys got to leave. And it was Bobby Bonilla. And sure enough, he hit home run. Uh, we didn't leave. We just went to another part of the stadium. But but still. <laughs> and then I met him later and uh, I got his autograph. Ooh. Uh, um, at, when I worked uh, at downtown Chicago's Gap. <laughs> so I have it on a Gap business card. Bobby Bonilla's autograph. So, yeah, he is a hash pipe <laughs> of Weezer songs. I'm going to go with uh, Holiday off the Blue Album. And uh, I'm going to go with Willie Randolph. Uh, Willie Randolph, uh, you know, he was on championship Yankees teams, both as a player and a coach. He also played for the Mets and is one of the winningest Mets managers. Uh, They fired him after they collapsed. They had the lead. Uh, I think they were in first going into the playoffs and they collapsed under his leadership, despite the fact the year before they had made the NLCS and lost the Cardinals. Famously, Carlos Beltran looked at strike three. Uh, that was also the inning before, of course, was the famous Andy Chavez catch. Was the greatest catch in Mets history. Of course, the greatest catch in Mets, Mets history comes during a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they fired him. Jerry Manuel takes over. Jerry Manuel does basically collapses the next year too. It's the same thing. And somehow Willie Randolph doesn't get another chance. Doesn't get another chance to coach, or to, man- to manage. He, gets, he coaches, but he never gets a chance to manage again. Dude is well over 500 as a manager. Led the Mets to the playoffs. Had, is a, it was on the championship Yankees as a player and a coach. And somehow he never gets another chance. Not somehow. I know why he doesn't get another chance because it's fucking racism. Like this dude deserves another yeah. chance. Same thing. Cito Gaston. Cito Gaston won two championships for the Blue Jays, and nobody hired him after that. Hey, but Tony 
Tony Larusa needs another job. How, Tony Larusa gets. I mean, Dude, fuck Tony Larusa. Bob Melvin. Like I who know. are like guys who like just keep getting second, third for AJ. No offense to AJ Hinch, but it's you know it's like you guys were cheating. Yeah. Uh, and and you get another chance. Everybody gets another chance. Willie Randolph deserves another chance. I'm not exactly sure how Holiday fits into this. Um, this is more of a way to say how much I love Willie Randolph, and I think it's it's shitty that he doesn't get one more look. Like my God, man! Like the dude w- w- was one of the winningest. Maybe it's because like Holiday gets r- forgotten because it's at the end of the album, even though it's really, you know, it's one of it's one of the best Weezer songs in my opinion, and it, it's. It's so it builds really well, and there's you know, I think there's a four part harmony in there too, and it gets forgotten because obviously only in dreams is this like kind of epic song, and uh, you know, say it ain't so, and in the garage are classic Weezer songs too that people love. So I think Holiday gets forgotten. It has nothing to do with racism though, compared uh, compared to Willie <laughs> Randolph's situation. How does sense. he not get another chance? It's fucked up. Yeah, it's bullshit. George. All right. So to me, this is uh, the last song. And um, I, I wanted to go first and I wanted to have the song last because I want you to give the opportunity to sort of to give us a take about this team. So my last song is all my favorite songs, which is from the OK Human record, which came out four weeks ago. Now, I've listened to it a bunch of times and uh, all my favorite songs is a sort of big, big Weezer song like strings. And they're like, it's it's a fun little hang. That's how that's how I describe things now. It's like it's would I hang out with that song? And I enjoy the fact that it's a fun little hang. So because it's the newest Weezer song, I wanted to to, to give an opportunity to shout out a, a newest New York athlete. And uh that is the Emmanuel Quickly of the mm. of the Weezer catalog. He's averaging 13 points a game. And I'm not saying just like the song, he's good. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying I've given it a chance. <laughs> And I like what I see so far. So, Dave, what is your last song? Um, all right. Th- that works because I'm going to keep it next to. Um, and because I am a child of the 90s, I am from Chicago. I had a lot of animosity towards those Knicks fan, those Knicks teams and those Knicks fans of those teams. <laughs> Why we lost. We always lost. <laughs> I know, but it's because you thought you were close. <laughs> we got we got the shit beat out of us. Charles, um, Charles Smith, just throw the ball behind your head. It was five on one. Someone was going to catch it other than a ball. But that's why I picked the song, the Weezer song that I hate the most to the New York athlete that I get in fights the most about. And that's Beverly Hills. And it's John Starks. I'm sorry. I just can't. I love John Starks. I know. But he had the one dunk. That's all he had. (laughs) He was was the spirit of that team. Like those 90s Knicks teams, they were, they're so New York in that they, they're kind of like the Pistons teams right before them. They were like, like they they were grimy. They would go for every loose ball. This is before every, fouls were called and everything. They would they they would elbow and punch and do what they had to do. Guys like Oakley and Mason, uh, you know, uh, even Derek Harper basically turned uh, you know meaner when he got to the to the Knicks. Ha- like hand check King Starks diving for loose balls. I mean, they weren't pretty to watch, but that's New York. New York is gross. But like you know, if 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 this was the fucking Sacramento Kings, nobody would have given a yeah. shit. Yeah. But because they were the Knicks, and just like New York, it was it was it's grimy and hard fought, 
and you don't win, but there's a story. You know what I mean? And that's that's why I love those Knicks yeah. teams. Um, I'm going to go with Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to compare Buddy Holly to John Franco, longtime Mets closer. And I think it's because I feel like I'm supposed to like Buddy Holly because it's the most famous song potentially they've had, especially on the Blue Album. It was the first, it was the hit. It was the first single or match second single after Sweater Song. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I guess when you list a Weezer top five or Hall of Fame, you got to, I guess you got to put Buddy Holly in there. But it's like, for Dewey, though, <laughs> I just feel like, like John Franco has the most saves ever as a left-handed pitcher, I think. Him or Billy Wagner, but I think it's him. And yet I, that doesn't feel special. And every time I, I saw him pitch, he would get the save, but he would make it close for no reason. Like a three-run lead, he'd give up a couple of runs for no reason. Or... Uh, it's a scoreless inning after he walked two guys and gave up a single and somehow they, they, they sneak. It wasn't, it was somewhat excruciating. And yet we, I guess we won. I guess he, he's a, you know, his ERAs were always pretty reasonable. His, his lifetime ERAs under three, he had over 400 saves, you know, that's a lot of saves. He didn't strike mm-hmm. out a lot of guys. That wasn't the kind of pitcher he was. Everybody knows who John Franco is in New York, especially if you're a baseball fan. But I don't, <laughs> I don't particularly care for him. I guess I have to like him because, because it, it, they, they, I guess on the teams, I like. But just like that song, he was around forever, ever, forever, forever, like and was- you just wondered why do people like this there's an there wasn't jamie couldn't have been in that spot susan anything anything i mean hell i've heard the kitchen tapes i've heard the unreleased bootlegs like let's sew our pants together or could have fit in there mm-hmm. you know thief you've taken all that was me what that, that or paper any of those songs could have been i mean it's good i guess it got the job done like john franco it did what they needed him to do, but there must have been better. <laughs> well, my friend, before we let you go, um, um, I want to do uh, one thing. I want to give you your next take before you leave and then plug something for us before you roll out of here. Sure. So give us your next take before you take off. My, my mix tape? Nick, your Knicks. Your, your, your New York Knicks tape. Uh, meaning what? It's like, how do you feel about your Knicks team? And oh, going Knicks forward? tape. Oh, I thought you said uh, Knicks tape. And I'm like, man. <laughs> Who do I do that too? Who do I, (laughs) which songs do I compare the Knicks to? Um, Man, you know, it's, it's hard. I I guess I'm a fan, but I don't really watch them anymore. I watch basketball generally. That's how bad they've been. They've taken me out of loving a team at all and just enjoying the sport. And I'm in, I'm in New York. That's a take you can have if you're in like Cincinnati, like what's my fucking team. I'm Cincinnati. Do I, do I like the Kings? Cause they used to be a Kansas city or the Cincinnati Royals, you know, cause that was the old, why do I, you know, but that's how bad they've been. I haven't liked the Knicks truly like every night. I haven't watched them since Jeremy Lin, you know, and that's the first time I saw them since like the end of Ewing's era. Do you know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Like, so it, it's like, I guess I'm a Knicks fan because I'm not a, a Nets fan, really, even though I live in Brooklyn. I'm a fan of the Knicks of a certain era. So there's definitely like, I want them to be good again. But, you know, and they're okay. They're a 500 team. I hate the fact that's acceptable as a, they're really turning it around with Julius Randle. And look, I know he's having a career year. It's, and he's it really, he's, a, he's having an incredible year. He was underappreciated with the Lakers. Um, but, ah, man, I just, and I know like, people are excited about Emmanuel quickly. I get it. Uh, fuck, though, man. I just, <laughs> it's, it's so refreshing to hear you say that, though, because you sound like a Chicago fan. Like, you're, you live in the, re- in the real world. <laughs> it's like if they were, like, you know, 15, 20 games above 500, that's one thing. They're okay. They're, oh, they might sneak into the playoffs. What the fuck is it? But I'm not going to enjoy watching them. They don't even, they're not even the character of, of New York. They're just a bunch of, oh, a bunch of guys. I don't even know. I mean, I'm supposed to feel for Kevin Knox, you know? I, I, I feel for R.J. Barrett that he should have been on a better team. He seems like a, he would have developed better on another team without the spotlight and without the losing traditions. I hate James Dolan. I hate the fact they threw Oakley out. Yeah, Oakley was probably unreasonable, but that's why you like Oakley. He's unreasonable. You know, Patrick Ewing, you don't let him in. Like you, 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 you make it hard for him to pass through the garden. Like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Like... Knicks haven't won since what seventy three, like seventy three and seventy four. I mean, get out of here with that! Like, <laughs> I just don't even. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I became a Warriors fan for the for a while just because my mom really liked the Warriors. I think because she thought Steph Curry was cute, and plus they were fun. They were fun to watch because nobody else was playing that kind of game, and seeing a great passing team like that. It was really exciting. And, but now I don't know, man. I still kind of care for the Warriors, certainly because of that. I, I just, I, I love the Knicks. The Knicks are like, it's like we're keep, like, we're keeping them alive, hoping they get out of the coma and the body's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you still love the person they were when they were conscious, but we never, we're not, we don't know if they're ever going to be what they were. We never know when they're going to wake up and they might wake up. Maybe it's going to be like a movie and things are changing. They're amazing, but I don't, I don't know. And, and that's why you feel a softness, you know, cause Oh, that, that Jersey, I recognize that Jersey it reminds me of the way they were, but they, they've been comatose for 20 plus years now. I don't know what to say. I mean, Come, I, I'm sorry, but I've I've married and moved on. You know what I mean? That sounds healthy. This has turned into an amazing narrative, Hari. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm I'm enthralled. I want to know more. But yeah, anyway, yeah. So that's my take on the Knicks. Well, perfect. Dave, do you have anything before we uh release our friend? The only real last quick thing I would ask you is like, you already had a joke on uh, warn your relatives about not wanting to do stand up in certain places. Like, yeah. are, are you thinking about going back to stand up after, you know, most people are vaccinated or, or do you have like thoughts about that or. Um, uh, it, it's, 
A few things. First of all, I, th- I wonder what it's going to be like to book things after, just because there's a backlog of canceled shows and people who are going to try to go on tour as soon as they can. So I don't even know if I wanted to, whether it would be easy to uh, just rebook uh, and start another tour. I'm rusty as all hell. So a year is a long time to go without stand-up. And so that's a, a worry. Plus, you know, having a family, it's like I don't want to expose them to anything. I don't know about variants. I don't know, you know, post-vaccination, what it's going to be like. Um, I, I, there's a lot of hesitation. And so, I, of course, I miss it. And of course, I would love to do shows. And the last show I did was in Cincinnati at the Taft Theater in the ballroom. And it, I knew it was going to be the last one. I, can't, I knew I was going to cancel the rest of the tour. Uh, it was the day the NBA season ended. So it was kind of clear at that point, like if, if they're ending and giving away all the money they could make, they know this is some shit. So what am I doing on tour? So, you know, I finished that gig. It was an amazing gig. And that was that. And I, I don't know when I'll get back to it. I miss it you know, constantly. I'm not going to tell you every day because I'll tell you like there's something beautiful about being home and being with my kid and my partner and like having a life, you know, that's normal (laughs) as much as this period is normal, you know. Um, But I certainly miss performing in front of amazing audiences and and that thrill. You can't really get that anywhere else. So I feel that's a great place to stop. Before we let you go, why don't you plug something for us? Sure. Uh, I'm going to plug uh, my stand-up special, Warn Your Relatives. I would love for y'all to uh, to watch that. And also uh, my documentary, The Problem with Apu, which I'm so glad we didn't talk about. Uh, but if, if you if you maybe heard of me from that and hate me as a result, maybe watch it first. And it's on HBO Max now, uh, unless you don't have that, you can buy it on Amazon too. And finally, uh, again, yeah, I got a podcast called... Uh, called Politically Reactive with my buddy W. Kamau Bell. We got Alana Glazer on soon. Uh, you know, this past week we had Soledad O'Brien and Desmond Mead, who uh, is a you know, former convict who has worked tire- tirelessly to get, um, you know, uh, convicted felons uh, their rights uh, to vote again, to get reenfranchised and their civil rights back. And uh, it's, it's a great episode. It comes out um, on Thursday. I'm not sure when this is, Come, this will be Friday, Friday. Yeah. so yeah, it's this week's episode. But yeah, we we still have a few episodes left of the season. Great backlog. Hope you get to watch awesome. that. A- Listen any, to that. Any plans for more Radical Children's Theater? I thought that that was historical. Uh, by the way, uh, that clip of Radical Children's Theater that's available on all the social medias um, was from a failed uh, TV pilot I did a few years ago. So. Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> there won't be any. any it's got legs. So, it's. I, th- I think it's great. So, yeah. Well, awesome. Th- thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Good to see you, and we'll we'll see you around the neighborhood. Yeah. You, thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. That was great. We want to again thank Hari Kondabolu. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Definitely. Check out all of Hari's stuff, Politically Reactive, the podcast he does, of course, with W. Kamau Bell that that they've brought back and they're still doing. It's really incredible. His last stand-up special, which is on Netflix, which is Warn Your Relatives from a few years ago, is very funny and and, uh, meaningful. And his documentary, The Problem with Apu, is on HBO Max and 
I gave that a watch recently. It's very good, very illuminating for people who grew up with The Simpsons and very necessary. He's he's really doing great work. I'm glad uh, we were able to have him on. Thank you, George, for facilitating that. And, uh, you know, just being a person that people like enough to come and do your podcast. So I appreciate you, George. Um, with that, what's, uh, what are you looking for for next week? What are you looking forward to the week ahead? Well, thank you, Dave. This is something I get excited about every year. And I hate that we weren't able to have this last year due to uh, the worldwide pandemic. But the NCAA tournament is back. Usually the Thursday of the tournament and the Friday of the tournament is pretty much like my first and second favorite day of the year because it starts at 12 and it ends at like 12 o'clock at night. Unfortunately, this year is starting at Friday, starting Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then there's Monday. So usually that Monday is like when you, you take a breath from the whole weekend. And now I get to watch college basketball on Monday as well. So I'm okay with not watching basketball on Thursday. So I'm going to give just like a little bit of snippet because like my favorite thing about the tournament is like everybody thinks they're an expert and nobody is. Because it's like uh, that that person who watches college basketball games every day of the year knows the exact same amount as somebody who works in your office who has never watched a college basketball game in their life. They have the exact same odds when it comes to tournament. But there's some things that I think people should pay attention to. My favorite matchup, usually my favorite matchup of the of the whole weekend is the 12 versus five seed, and usually that's the, one of the bigger upsets. And 12 versus five usually puts uh, a let's see like a a mid-major versus like a team that's just okay from a big conference. The crazy thing about this year is the fact that everybody, they just play teams in their conference. So nobody really knows how good everybody is. So don't really look at that as being like a major upset. A lot of people are saying that Winthrop is going to be over Villanova. I don't necessarily see it, even though I have picked Winthrop on a couple of them. I think the big upset of the weekend is UC SB over Creighton. And uh, the reason why I'm picking UCSB is not because I know anything about them, with the exception of the fact that UCSB is one of the biggest party schools in the country, and it stands for University of Casual Sex and Beer. I'm just kidding. It doesn't really stand for that. But that's what it's been called in, like, multiple publications about the biggest party school. And uh, I just find that funny. So I'm going – I got UCSB making it to the Sweet 16 based on the fact that I like that nickname. But my my, my national champion is going to be Arkansas a team of my youth that I enjoyed in the 90s. I'm picking for Arkansas because here's a stat for you, Dave, if you want to plan on betting on this. 21 of the last 23 national champions has come from either the three-line, the two-line, or the one-line. So as much as we like the big upsets, it's always going to be a team that's coming in hot. And as much as I want to see Gonzaga win it, I kind of want to go the other direction. And I'm picking Arkansas to win the whole darn thing just because I like Arkansas. Dave, what are you looking forward to? First of all, I'm looking forward to not betting on the NCAA tournament because uh, just for what you said, everybody thinks they know, everybody thinks they're an expert and nobody actually is. And I actually... No, 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 you you, you reverse that. It's like everybody thinks they're an expert and then the people don't know anything. They all have the exact same... They're they're all on equal footing. But I don't think I'm an expert at anything (laughs) and I haven't watched... uh... That's why you would probably win it. Yeah. Well, maybe I should then. I've barely watched you're you're right though, because I've I've barely watched any college basketball at all this year, and I probably would do better this year than I have in years past. <laughs> um I, I'm also looking forward to it, even though I haven't watched. I I am rooting for the LI9 just because you know it's the local for me. Um 
and because I love summer for them. I because I got this my guy a ayo 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 the summer. He's like, you're going to root for Champaign, Illinois, even though you're such a Chicago homer. There is a team from Chicago in the tournament. Who, you should pull for that team. Is you right? Loyal is Chicago. Oh, Loyola. Yeah, yeah. I'm pulling for Loyal. pulling for them. I'm pulling for Loyal. Sister Jean. They, yeah, Sister. That's up the block from your house. Sister Jean. That's true. That you're right. That is up the block. Don't pull for Champagne. What's wrong with you? That's also a sneaky good pick. I'm just saying. I know people that work. Such a Chicago homer, pull for Loyal. I know people that work at Loyola. You're right. Uh I exactly they're gonna have to play, they might have to play Illinois in the second round. But I just like I read this. Oh no, that, that that's one of the storylines that's out there. It's like, oh, you don't play us. <laughs> Guess you get to see in the second round. <laughs> I uh I I I just I just read a story about Ao Dusunmu, who like his family seems awesome. And the quote that I pulled from his dad, which is something he pulled aside his son to tell him when he was a teenager. And it's how they approach like basketball as business. And he said, you're the CEO. We are the board. And he was referring to like the whole family. And I just, I just think that's awesome. I love it. So I want Illinois to win, <laughs> but yeah, Loyola too. So uh, in a world that can't happen, but that would be great. But the only, you should be pulling for Loyola. All right. All right. Sister, sister Jean. I agree. Sister Jean. She's 101 years old. Fucking one. Yeah. And she got her vaccine so she could go follow them. So <laughs> uh, story's incredible. Very, very, very quickly. The only other thing I'm looking forward to is actually I'm going back and doing a deep dive on an old movie that we already just talked about but it's because of the great Yafet Kodo who's uh, hopefully resting well and that's Blue Collar I, I'm going to go back and watch Blue Collar which Hari gave I'm not even going to say that much about it because he gave a great uh, plug for it but it's Paul Schrader Richard Pryor Harvey Keitel I it's from like 78 I'm really and and I like I, I don't know I, I've watched a lot of Paul Schrader movies and for whatever reason that one just like it missed i missed it and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to going and watching blue collar i think you have to buy it on like fucking youtube or some shit but I'm, you an american gigolo fan uh you know but but uh he made some really good quiet movies in like the eight like uh the one with dude american gigolo is tight i don't give a fuck that movie is good <laughs> american gigolo is good but it's not my favorite of his but uh light sleeper with uh willem dafoe and Susan Sarandon, that shit is incredible. Also, Hardcore, which is the movie he made after sure, yeah. Piccolo, I think, which is with George C. Scott. Or That shit is intense. Intense. Okay. All right. Blue, blue Collar is blue collar is great, and you're, you're going to enjoy it. Awesome. All right. Now we're going to go to producer Mary Bess for The Buzz. Mary Bess. Thank you, Dave. So we are recording this episode on Wednesday afternoon. March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. And it's difficult to know where to begin. With continued attacks on trans lives, violent assaults on women, police brutality and racial inequity, and the most recent horrific and heartbreaking attack in Georgia last night, leaving eight people dead, six of them Asian American women. Some days it feels like too much. And it's crushing how cruel and violent human beings can be. And I just want to take a moment to check in with you, George and Dave, and our listeners, and make sure we're okay. And to tell us, I say that to remind myself too, to remind ourselves that even if we're not okay, that's okay. And this is a lot to process. And as we acknowledge our grief and our pain in these moments, it's important to take stock and take care. And it's also vital 
that we act. We live in an incredibly advanced technological age where ignorance is not bliss, it is a choice. Inaction is a choice. So let's choose to act and choose to be a part of this fight in whatever way makes the most sense for you. Whether it's talking to your family members, engaging in your community, uh, checking in on people you know and love who might be hurting, supporting independent minority business owners, uh, sharing information and resources on your social media platforms, donating to a cause you care about, volunteering, calling your representatives, supporting a campaign of someone you think will truly change people's lives, or running for office yourself. No one has to make this their life's work, but everyone can participate in their own small way. So I'm here to just remind all of us not to be complacent. Rest, replenish, and allow yourself to celebrate joy. That is so important. But come back to a place of action. And I, I just want to say I love you guys. And there's a lot of love in this space. And we're, I, could, I think I can speak for all three of us when we say we're very fortunate to get to share it with you. So thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Mary Bess, for those thoughtful words. You are quite welcome. And we are going to do last call and wrap up this wonderful episode of Know Your Roles. George, what do we got going on next week? Give the people something to be excited about. Next week, we have Tariq Davis from the Amber Ruffin Show, and we've got a pretty fun game in store for him. So tune in next week, guys. Awesome. Yeah, we are looking forward to that. Well, with that, I will say thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Bess. Thank you to our team who did our theme song, Kazo Oslo, Antak Kid, and Nate88. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Know your roles wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you. And please, everybody, stay safe and stay healthy. And uh, my usual send off, as always, wear your mask over your fucking nose. And that includes you, buddy. It was in line to get their COVID shot. I don't know. I was like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, did you, did you, we're all here for the same reason. And you clearly have missed something. Anyway. Just wait another couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That guy. Ooh. Ooh. Anyway, we'll see you next week, y'all. We're out. Oh, the rest of the